Hello, all you Queer Queries listeners. I'm so honored to speak with today's guest. They are a New York City-based drag artist turned activist slash community organizer who is currently running for a city council seat in Manhattan's 7th Council District on the west side of Manhattan. I cannot be more excited to talk to this person. Please welcome to your ears, Marty Allen Cummings. Hello, Marty. Thank you so much for having me, Nick. I'm so excited to join you and your listeners today. Um, Yeah, what's going on? Not much. Just excited to get started in this new season, talking to a bunch of queer people, which is like my favorite thing to do. And this entire planet. And it's the one blessing that's come from this past year has been getting to talk to so many incredible people about our differing experiences, lives, etc. All under the rainbow. Yeah. But first question, like right off the bat that I ask everyone is, how were you introduced to queerness, LGBTQ plus community? What was like your first? Oh, that's what that is. Oh my God, how was I introduced to queerness? Well, I think like so many queer people, I always knew there was something a little different. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) When I was coming up, you know, there was not a lot of like references to queer people in pop culture or television. They're normally like the punching bag or the stereotypical best friend character, whatever. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't any representation for like non-binary or trans people or anything like that, really. And but when I was growing up, you know, I would sneak off to the borders books and I would put an XY magazine underneath of a like people magazine or something and an out magazine and the advocate underneath of like National Geographic. I don't know. And like sit in the corner of borders and read. And then I would like sign on to xy and gay.com was like the big one at the time and then i would like clean my cookies or whatever on the computer and yeah so that was like my first introduction i guess you know because there wasn't any references where i was or you know growing up on a farm there wasn't like a lot of reference point but then i moved to new york when i was 17 right after graduating high school and studied musical theater so it was like no queer people and then a lot fucking queer people all at once like my age like discovering themselves at the same time so it was a lot of fun did you go to school for theater yeah i went to amda okay (laughs) yeah it's so funny how i remember being on gay.com for like a hot minute but it's just so funny how our stories just have such similarities with this like the clearing the web browser history the like hiding the things oh my gosh yeah (laughs) i there was one time when i was like maybe 15, I guess. We are probably like around 15. And I had a computer in my room and my brother used it one day. And then I went into the kitchen and my mom was like, so what's hunkhunters.com? And I was like, uh, you know, I was like, oh, it, you know, like back in the day when you would open your email and then it was like a spam and all these like pop-up things would pop up. I was like, oh, it was like a pop-up thing. Uh, uh, uh. I opened the wrong email. Yep, use the same excuse. But I read in an article that, so you moved to New York City to pursue musical theater, but then somewhere along the way, someone gave you a note or you like gave yourself this note. And that is what led you to pursuing drag about someone said you were too pitchy for musical theater. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a joke. I mean, I am pitchy, but you know, when I was in AMDA, one of my teachers said, oh, you're going to end up being just a drag queen. And I was like, what? But like now there's so many more characters 
that are like well-rounded. And at the time there was like nothing, you know, this was in 2005. There was like nothing. So anyway, so I did this show off Broadway and it like introduced me to the world of drag in like a really fun way. And, and so then I started doing drag. Did you have a drag mother? It was very accidental. Like I think now that drag race is so popular, I think a lot of people are like, I'm going to be a drag queen, which mm-hmm. is like fine. There's no like wrong or right way to do it. I very accidentally became a drag queen. Like I did this show. I had fun exploring drag and gender and and finding like new ways to be creative and so I started just like you know bopping around to see Sherry Vine and Peppermint and Shaquita and like Bianca and all these shows and you know at the time Head of Lettuce was really big in the city and so I did this birthday party at this bar Big 27 I was like I'm gonna host it in drag and we'll make it like a big thing and so like Matt Joyle and Lily Cooper and Frankie Grande and Adam Cantor were like my guest performers and they were all like starting out also like in the theater. And this was before any of them became like who they are, you know, Mm -hmm. today. But the bar manager was like, oh, you're really funny. Do you want to have a weekly show? We're a new bar. We're looking to like fill our entertainment slot. And I was like, sure, I I need a job. Why not? And then like maybe three weeks later, a manager from another bar came to the new show and was like, oh, do you want to have a show at our bar also? And, but that like doesn't happen today. Like it doesn't happen like that today yeah just because i'm not as familiar how would you say something like that were to happen today like everyone's knowledge of drag culture is saturated with rupaul's drag race but i think something that i at least didn't experience until i moved to the city about new york drag is really like what makes each city unique like all of the mixes i had never seen that before of like oh, really? the use of monologue and anything like that and me being like a musical theater person where are you um, from I'm from Georgia, yeah, yeah. yeah, but grew up in like a musical theater world. And like one of my first exposures was for whatever reason, I had a TV in my room when I was young and I only had a select few channels, but one of the channels I had was Logo TV. So I'm like <laughs> fifth or sixth grade watching like Noah's Ark, Queer as Folk, early oh seasons God, of RuPaul's Drag Race. When you were watching that? I was a child. Well, my first introduction, do you remember the movie Prayers for Bobby? With Sigourney yeah, with Weaver. Sigourney Weaver, yeah. That was the first time I ever heard what the word gay meant and saw how the world felt about it. I grew up in a quasi-religious home. So it was definitely like, oh, this is going to be hard. And that whole back and forth. But, But going back to drag, I think that's something that I think a lot of younger people aren't exposed to nowadays is the, well, the nuances of each scene. Every city is like different. I love Chicago drag. I think Chicago drag is one of my favorite and it's one of my favorite cities to perform in. But, you know, the drag mix in New York was like, it's been around for a long time. But if you look into like, you know, people like to throw the word legend around now. You're not a legend if you've been doing drag for like two to five years. You're not a fucking legend. You're a drag queen. Mm-hmm. But like a legend is someone like Libsynka, who has like been around forever and did their telephone mix is very famous. They just redid it at Wigstock recently. They did it with Sasha Velour at Nightgowns recently. Also, But they would back in the day, she would take the cassette tape she would record, like, you know how we have, like, you know, Mommy Dearest on a mix or whatever. <laughs> she would wait for it to be on TV or rent the video, record it with the cassette, and then take it and cut the cassette tape and tape the pieces of the cassette tape together and then string it into a cassette to make the mix. I mean, that's hours and hours and hours and hours of yeah. labor. Mm-hmm. That is a legend. So... What led you to to start 
organizing and get into politics? And how do you cross over from being a drag artist to doing community organizing to now obviously running for a city council seat? Well, at first, I think drag is in itself like an act of political resistance. Like drag is an inherently political and it always has been and it always will be. So whether you are a quote political queen or not, just during the act of any form of drag is political. Mm-hmm. I went to Occupy Wall Street like 11 years ago with a bunch of drag queens. That was like my first dip into it and then started working with organizations like Ali Fournay Center and mm-hmm. you know these different places. But it really was cemented I was doing a gig at Baca Soda Bottoms Up, uh, which I think is closed, but um, I was doing a gig there. And it was before Trump won, but during that whole like, you know, campaign cycle. And I like made a joke about Kelly and Conway and Mike Pence or whatever, like on stage. And the owner was like, you're going to offend straight clientele and you're making me as a voter uncomfortable by making fun of Trump and whatever. And I was like, oh, are you voting for him? And I was like, are you profiting off of queer people while voting against their rights? And I literally handed him the microphone on the sidewalk. I had the microphone in my hand and my purse in the other and I handed him the microphone and I was like, I'm done. And I quit. And as I was walking down the street, I was like, what are you doing? Like, there was such a simple thing to like make a joke about like, Mike Pence and Kellyanne Conway, but I was like, it's so much more than that. For whatever reason, a lot of people come to my shows and a lot of people follow me online. And I was like, you're wasting an opportunity to not only educate yourself, but use that to educate other people on what's happening in the world. And here we are. Mm -hmm. I love that you said all that because I think both being in the entertainment industry, I think that's something, especially in the past year, There's been a lot of people that have been like, just play basketball, just be a movie star, just do that. Like, we don't need you to come out and speak and whatnot. That's like Um, saying about any worker, like just do your job. Like the point of engaging in democracy is that everyone is supposed to be engaged, mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. So yeah, something else I had, and this speaks to like what you've been doing with your campaign. You've been able to really get in touch with a lot of younger queer people. And I think sometimes there, at least from my experience, there can be this disconnect with younger queer people having the ability to enjoy the privileges that they now have because of more acceptability of queerness and having that disconnect of like needing to continue the fight and needing to be in touch with like what's going on with our trans siblings, what's going on with our non-binary siblings, what's going on. There's trans legislation in our country right now than any other year, you know? So the fight is far, far, far from over. Mm -hmm. And I think something I definitely try to do with a lot of the people I work with is try and bridge that disconnect that I think sometimes exists between older generations of queer people and younger generations of queer people, because I think there's like this stigma of the other that clouds our ability to connect sometimes. And I'm just wondering if you have like any thoughts on creating these intergenerational bonds, because I think there's so much we can learn from each other. Yeah. I mean, I think we should, you know, learn from those who came before us and use that to educate ourselves and those who come after us. And, you know, this movement for queer liberation has been going on for generations. And so Mm -hmm. I think intergenerational relationships are really important to the continuation of the movement, learning from successes and learning from mistakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Using that to strengthen the movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think especially now when we are 
still living in a pandemic and obviously like reminiscent of the last pandemic still ongoing that we experienced as a community. I think just obviously no one has to be a queer historian, but just like knowing where we came from and knowing those stories and knowing about like, what are the riots? Like Black Hat is the one that comes to mind, but everything that happened pre-Stonewall that led up to that kind of burst and that being the coined start of the queer liberation movement. There's a lot that came before Stonewall, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Learn about it. We should all Mm -hmm. learn about it. The donut shops, the Mattachine sit-ins at Julia's. Mm -hmm. William Dorsey, I think is his name, who was the first known drag queen who was a former slave, you know, it's like incredible. I know. I didn't learn that fact until like last year. And now I'm like, okay, when is the, when's the documentary? When's the miniseries? When is it happening? The the first openly out LGBTQ person to run for office in history was Jose Seria in 1961. And they were a drag queen. Mm -hmm. You don't hear that name very much though. Yeah. And now for you, how does it feel to carry on this tradition of queer politicians and being first and and breaking boundaries in our communities? Oh, I don't know. Um, (laughs) It's a loaded question. Yeah, I just, yeah, I mean, I'm super proud. Why did you want to run in the first place? I wanted to run because, well, I think representation is important we've never had trans or non-binary people elected before and i you know i'm proud to be non-binary genderqueer and but i also think our government isn't working the status quo isn't working the establishment is just that it's establishment and you know i launched my campaign before the pandemic but like every issue we launched on has been like exacerbated because of this pandemic showing like the injustices in every level of everything so i i just think we need new voices at the table I read somewhere you've talked about how there's an intersection between what are sometimes labeled as queer issues versus like human issues and the intersection, like they always intersect between like housing, between healthcare, between rights in the workplace. I mean, it's Um, all intersectional and queer people, it's intersectional for queer people because queer people make up every economic background and religious background and racial background and, you know, Queer people are in every corner of the world, so Mm -hmm. it's completely intersectional. Mm -hmm. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Queer Queries. Now, this week, I'd like to talk to you about the Ali Forney Center. Now, Ali Forney was a gender nonconforming teen who fled his home at 13. He entered the foster care system where he was bounced around to several homes and was beaten and abused. Ali ended up living on the streets at the age of 15. Ali was dedicated to helping other young people and publicly advocated for the safety of homeless LGBTQ youth. The center's mission is to protect LGBTQ youths from the harms of homelessness and empower them with the tools needed to live independently. This information was taken from their website, and a link to learn more about this organization, as well as to donate to them, will be linked in the show notes below. I have a question that I had last year. I had Cormac Kelly, Kiki Ball Change, and Sequoia on my show. And I asked this question because I, I can't remember where I heard it, but I think the person who had this idea is Alaska. And she talked at one point of wanting to create some kind of drag queens union. And I also want to ask this question now amidst everything that's been going on with the actors union and this need for more accessibility and more like accessibility for non-members and just better working conditions and rights for 
entertainers in general, and especially Drag with how workers, go-go dancers, sex workers, yep. bartenders, baristas, cocktail servers, porters, mm-hmm. balancers. There's no job security protections, paid sick leave, hazard pay, childcare, paid time off, none of it. So yeah, I definitely think the nightlife industry needs a union. There is the freelancers union, which is amazing and does mm-hmm. incredible work for freelancers and like 1099, you know, gig workers. But, you know, I think equity should extend to nightlife workers. I mean, drag artists and go-go dancers, you know, tear their bodies up and have no health care. And, you know, if you don't go to work, you don't get paid. Mm-hmm. Like people have to take off work for a number of reasons, illness, mental health care take care of a loved one, whatever it is, there's no protection. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy. I was just like hearing, I think it was Kiki who she shared her stories about just horrible experiences she had with bar owners with like not getting the paid amount and fees changing like on the spot and, and, (laughs) and having instances where you like speak out and then exactly like we said, like bar owners, like not being comfortable with that for whatever reason, even in New York city. It's just frustrating, especially, and I think like one of the pros of drag races, I think it has allowed people to see drag as more of a career option and all you can do with it and the power and influence you can have with it. And so I think now is like, especially the perfect time, like you said, not just drag artists, but all nightlife workers. They get treated like shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just to wrap up, because you're someone I followed for a while, and it just seems like you're always doing everything under the sun. I love running into you in my building. (laughs) I know. I was like, this will be like off the tape, but I had seen a friend I hadn't seen for a while. And we went to like Lower East Side and had one of these like brunch drink specials. And so when Jay introduced me to you, I was like not present at all. But the Uh thing is, this is so funny. Anytime like business or like I need to turn on, and I think it's because the actor business in me, I can have completely like cognizant. I am like present. I am dropped in. I am like having these conversations. Shit face. I don't even know. (laughs) Well, that's good. I was like, shoot, it's Marty. Did you know I lived there? He said that you lived there because I don't know. Your name was brought up because I was like, oh, I like Marty, someone I would like love to have on the show. And he's like, well, actually, like Marty lives in the building. I was like, oh, my God, that's so funny. So uh-huh. I was going to see him and and then you were coming in and I had that like pre-audition room moment. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then <laughs> just, like, Turn the fuck on. Like, thank well, God. For, <laughs> thank God for musical theater. Uh-huh. Um, that's funny. But Yeah. But yeah, you're just doing so much. And I just want to ask you, like, what keeps you going and what right now is like bringing you joy and giving you hope for the future? Um, Well, what's bringing me joy is my little dog who's cuddled up on my butt. There he is. Um, I mean, what gives me hope is like the thousands of people who continue to gather to stand up against injustices against our black and brown communities and AAPI communities and indigenous communities and against women and trans people and queer people and just people coming together and saying enough is a fuck enough. Like, you know, yeah, that gives me hope. Yeah. I guess that's it. Cool. Work. Well, if you want to find Marty, you can find them on Instagram and Twitter at Marty G Cummings. Their website is martyformanhattan.com. If you are eligible to vote in New York, Do you want to talk about this? 
So early voting is June 12th. Election day in New York is June 22nd. Find out who's running in your district. If you are not registered to vote in New York, you have until May 27th, I believe, to do that. You can go to vote.nyc. You do not need a New York ID to register to vote, but make sure you're registered and vote where you live. It's very important. They just did all those new requirements now in in Georgia of like having an ID and everything and and whatnot. And it's... I don't know why we're trying to make voting less accessible for everyone. Um, Bigotry. Exactly. But... All of this will be linked in the show notes below. Marty, is there anything else you want to say before we sign off? Thank you for having me. And everyone go get your vaccine. (laughs) Amen. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, Queer Queries listeners, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye-bye now. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Queer Queries. This show is produced by yours truly, edited by Addison McKissack, theme song written by Matt Gregory, Colin Egan, and Mike Hubbard, produced by Colin Egan and Mike Hubbard, logo designed by David Pavon. Have an inquiry, topic suggestion, guest idea? Email askqueerqueries at gmail.com and let me know your thoughts. Also, follow us on Instagram at, at queer.queries. And remember, hit that subscribe button, leave that written review, tell your friends, tell your loved ones, tell your enemies, tell the whole world about the Queer Queries podcast. 